victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top four? Stanley. It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. Unbelievable kick from Mafia. As the Socceroos prepare for the biggest game on home soil since the 2015 Asian Cup final, the question remains, will there be anyone left to play in it? As Socceroos drop left, right and centre, we've had Graham Arnold caught breaching COVID orders. It's all going a little pear-shaped on the eve of a very, very big game. I'm Josh Parrish, and I've got Lockie Flanagan here with me. No Jason Goldsmith this week, uh, but delighted to have you on board, Lockie. How are you? I'm good. I'm still adjusting to sitting down, which is always fun. <laughs> um, there will be plenty of potential Socceroos who will be sitting down this week because they will not be able to play. Uh, the best time to have everything go wrong, really, isn't it? Mm, yes. Right before a crucial game. Although I have it on reliable authority, Josh, that most of these Socceroos who are claiming to be injured... Um, or unavailable for you know weddings or any other particular reason, they're actually going to form a breakaway. Socceroos too. <laughs> a a, a bockeroos. Yeah. No, they're they're calling it the football ruse. Very different thing. Okay. Very different thing, and uh, they'll be playing a different Japan squad this same week. Is this a and so the Socceroos internally? You know they're they're losing their mind. You know we're the original, we're the best Socceroos. Like we're the best Australian national team. You can't do this. You can't do this. Rah rah rah. Um, and the only way to settle it, as we know, cage match. <laughs> oh well, I appreciate you trying to come with up with a wrestling storyline to explain this, but unfortunately, it's just COVID cases, injuries mounting yeah. up, and. I don't even know what the eleven's going to look like. No Irvine, no Moy, no Rogic. That's our entire starting midfield lineup from the Vietnam and Oman games. It's bad. There's, there's <laughs> no, there is nowhere to sugarcoat it. I wish I could be uh, come on here and be um, you know, my notorious positive uh, positive self with all it's of these things. It's only a little things. bit thin. It's still good. It's yeah, still good. It's still good. It's still good. Um, they're driving like flies. It's still good. It's still good. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be tough. Although. You know what? I, I'm actually I'm lying, Josh. I am going to take a positive spin on this. Could you make the argument that all of these things going wrong works in Australia's favour in a way? Because explain. What, okay, so what is the soccer? Please explain. In my opinion, and maybe knows what. What is the best route or the most successful way that this this soccer side under Graham Arnold can play and can find fortune going forward uh the long ball from the back to front and then defensive mistake by the opposition direct or a counter-attack what is going to give you the best chance of doing that having less of the ball right (laughs) what kind of uh extenuating circumstances would lead to a situation where you could realistically expect to have less of the ball not having your first choice 11 available true but were we going to have the ball against Japan anyway? No, that, this is a good point. This is a good point. And I, I'm not sure whether Moy, Rogic, Irvine was the best way to go against Japan in the first no. place. But who who comes in is the question. I think Hrustic is almost nailed on to start now because he needs be some form of creativity. But who is left is is the is the question really? Because Hrustic can play ten, he can play deeper. 
McGree is unavailable as well, which is a huge out because you, you you would have thought that he'd be the ideal person. It really to come is in. dire circumstances when it's easier for us to name the squad of unavailable players than it is for us to name the actual squad. Cam Devlin's injured. That yeah, that sucks. I mean, Jago, I think is likely to see minutes. See, I are there enough voices in in this game pushing Denny genre propaganda? There probably are, but you know, I'll push a little bit more myself. There's one very like, prominent one. It, it, it's you know, it's remarkable for many to see how long it's taken him to be welcomed into this soccerer's fold. Is it too much to suggest that he can go from not being in the picture or not being in the squad to? in the squad and starting in such a short space of time. Do you think it's more likely that Graham Arnold goes with Jean Rowe or someone like Metcalf? I actually, Metcalf, great point. Great point. I think Metcalf is, I want to say he's almost definitely starting this game. Really? Okay. That doesn't give me a great deal of confidence. I'm not saying that. not very experienced. I am speaking through the mind of Graham Arnold. Yeah, I understand I'm that. I'm not speaking in my own interest necessarily. Mm. Because if I was speaking in my own interest where it relates to the Socceroos, I wouldn't have to be thinking in the mind of Graham Arnold to begin with. I mean, Jean-Ro, Jago, Rustich makes sense to me as a midfield three. Yeah, I can see that. You've got someone who can progress the ball from deep. You've got a worker who's going to cover ground. And you've got someone like Rustich who can offer between the lines. Yeah. That's, that's a good balance. Maybe they want to go a little bit more defensive and have two anchor kind of defensive-minded players against Japan, or do you want some more like box-to-box oriented, territorial, dominating, you know, physical presence like Metcalf? Well, the other thing for Metcalf as well is, do you want someone who can attempt to replicate the third man running that someone like? Jackson Irvine brings into the squad. Obviously, Conor mm. Metcalf doesn't have the same aerial threat, but he does have that propensity to sort of get into spaces where he might find himself on the edge of the box mm. or attacking or just, the weak side. Just yeah, exactly. And yep. so maybe he will come in to fill that gap that is left by Jackson Irvine being in the middle. But I think, to be honest, I think that two defensively minded midfielders is the most plausible thing. Whether or not that's the best thing for the Socceroos, I think it's a very different question. All right. Well, the midfield conundrum is probably the central one, as as always for the Socceroos. But up front, up front has been another big question with Jamie McLaren only available for the first game. Uh, Matthew Leckie is in doubt. No Adam Taggart again, still injured. Mm. Nikita Rukovitsia not eligible to enter the country. So basically the striking options boil down to, indeed, Martin Boyle, if he doesn't play out wide. Mm-hmm. You'll pardon the pun. McLaren in the first game, Duke, D'Agostino, who's been called up, and, of course, the man who's made all the headlines for reasons right and wrong, naturalised Bruno Fornaroli. We'll talk about the Fornaroli... Uh, discourse in a, in a moment, but f- for you, who is your pick to start, and who do you think is more most likely to start in Arnold's mind? My pick to start is is the naturalized man. Really, it's the naturalized man. Yeah, because I, I but the, again, this is me. This is me because it was suggested as a joke last week by Jason, and I, you know, I laughed anyway. 
we thought he was ineligible at the time because there was that article a few years ago in the World Game that said players who've played for a youth national team and didn't hold dual nationality or dual eligibility at the time were ineligible. That was true. Up until 2020, the rule was changed. But I laughed at the prospect of Australia calling up a 34-year-old Uruguayan who's never played for the team before just because... You know, we had a bit of a shortage. You, you of do know what talent. they say in Australian football, Josh. You don't laugh too hard at something because usually, if you laugh too hard at something, it will actually happen. <laughs> um, but in this case, I actually don't think it's. I don't think it's the worst outcome, but that's just because I really like Fornaroli. It's not in in big picture thinking what this Fornaroli inclusion into the Socceroos side uh, says is is not great. Is not great, but short term, immediate future, winning this game, I think Bruno Fornaroli is a great player to have start this game. And I'll explain why. Because his best, for me, his best attribute, sure, he can score goals, all that sort of thing. But he's a he's a collaborative player. He brings the best out of the other players around him. I think we've had it a few times in recent Socceroos games where, be it Jamie McLaren or Mitch Duke, has led that line, and or Martin Boyle as well. And especially the more diminutive options, the sort of channel runners there, like your McLarens and, and Boyle as well, have just ended up being marked out of the game. Uh, and really what threat Australia ha- have had, if any, has come from the wider positions. You know, those players attacking the space sure. in behind. So if you've got a guy who can get the ball into his feet... Exactly. ...and it can stick so there... If, if the plan is to play in transition and let's make our one chance count, then maybe McLaren is the best. That's what I was going to say. In this particular game, maybe McLaren makes more sense because Australia might be forced to cede possession to, let's be honest, a better Japanese yeah, team. But, but and there'll be more spacing behind for someone like McLaren to make them pay. Yes, but the danger is that we've tried that strategy before against different opposition and it's failed. Like, mm. McLaren has had himself marked out of a few games in, in, in the Socceroos picture. But Fornaroli can not be that player, but he can make the players around him into that player, I think, because he he will drop off the defensive line to receive the ball. He'll come short, he'll turn, and he'll create space in behind him that a wide player with striking tendencies, like a Martin Boyle, for example, could come in and exploit. Like... If you're playing channel balls, you know, waiting for someone to sort of um, collect and have runners around him, I think Fornaroli is great for that. He's not the biggest, obviously, but he knows how to use his body. He can play with his back to goal and bring others into the play. And so if he's dropping off that front line, uh, I I can see him bringing Australia's wide players, which, as I've said before, I think is the greatest attacking threat that we've got, Mm. uh, into the game, then I think he makes perfect... Perfect sense. All right, let's talk about Fauna Rolly and the reaction to his selection and then the reaction to the reaction. It's been quite a week. I'm just going to say quickly, though, you asked me what I think we should do and what I think Graham Arnold will do. I think Graham Arnold is going to talk, pick the one forward that I didn't mention, uh, which is Mitch Duke. Mm, I mean, aerial threat. Uh, Mitch Duke has shown time and time again he's a decent impact player when defences are tired. Mm. and when it's desperate late on in the game, you need to get crosses into the box. He and D'Agostino almost occupy the same role in my mind. Yeah, they so I don't really know why they're both bit. in the but same squad. But can Mitch Duke throw the ball a really long way? No, maybe maybe Dag is mm. throwing the ball to Duke. Maybe that's our, our route to go. <laughs> I mean, it's... This is fun, isn't it's, it? It's, it's, 
it really is a murderer's like a skeleton crew. Sorry, or the opposite. It's a skeleton crew uh, that Graham Arnold has at his disposal for the most important game. Yeah, we arguably shouldn't be in this position in the first place. But now Arnold has a built-in excuse for why he didn't make the World Cup. Yeah, which sucks because if there's one thing Australia were Australian football at large was already not great at doing uh, is holding itself to account and looking introspectively at the deep issues and reasons as to why things are happening. And when you create, not create excuses, but when things happen that give you an excuse to point towards um, that chance for accountability, introspection, uh, admittance of failure becomes less likely. Well put. Um, Bruno Fornaroli. If I object to the fact that we've called up a 34-year-old Uruguayan, does it make me a xenophobe? No. Well, I guess it depends. It depends on your reason for for objecting. Uh, And there was a lot of different criticism. I think a lot of people like, this guy spent his whole life, you know, most of the majority of his life as a Uruguayan, like he spent less than... Uh, you know, a decade in in this country. You know, he's represented their youth national team before, and it's like this is a team we're going to end up playing potentially in a playoff um, down the track. You know, in the not too distant future, can Which is we? Hilarious. Can we really trust him? That was one of the um, one of the sort of. Can you imagine the media attention for Rolly is going to get in Uruguay if we make yeah. it there that far? But that was that was one of the main reasons. Because I remember when New Zealand were playing Peru and their their media were obsessed with Marco Rojas, who's of course Chilean background, because mm. he, he can speak Spanish, and they they just couldn't believe that there was a New Zealander who could speak Spanish. And, imagine- were, and he got followed around everywhere, which of course Marco Rojas, being one of the sh- shyest people in professional football, did not enjoy. Yeah, um, I, I, but that but that's been one of the main reasons for critique of the the Fornaroli selection. If your if your reason for being opposed. Uh, of being opposed to him being in the squad is that it is an indictment on the production line of Australia, particularly in the striking department, that we're having to call up a 34-year-old Uruguayan at this crucial stage. That is a completely fair criticism, and you are more than entitled, and I agree with you that that is the case. If your reason is because he's not spent enough time in Australia, English is not his first language, uh, he's got Uruguayan connections, we might end up playing them. Get in the bin. <laughs> Get in the bin. Because if you are saying that, what are the, the odds that your favourite player in the Socceroos is Harry Souter or Martin Boyle is pretty high. I reckon those people are one and the same. Because of all the national teams in the world, Australia has got the least ground to stand on when it comes to having an objection to naturalizing players in dubious circumstances. Because you know what Fornaroli has over your Harry Sutars? He's actually been in Australia before he played for Australia. <laughs> it's not just some weird tenuous Same ancestral Frank connection. Karicic. Exactly. So anyone who's got that problem, why is it that you've taken maybe this is the last straw, but why is it Fornaroli that's caused you to have this opposition when there have been a lot more tenuous connections to Australia in some ways, you could argue um, that have been worthy of Socceroos call-ups versus a guy who has, in my mind, uh, contributed a heap to the fabric of, you know, the last five, six, seven, eight years of Australian football in this country. He's been a massive player in our domestic league, which is a league that not a lot of people necessarily 
give the respect it des- it deserves, but he has. And he's been a model professional since he's come here, in spite of difficult circumstances that he's had to deal with. Um, and he feels like this place is home. He wants to is stay Is he good here. enough, though? Now, I mean, post-ankle... I mean, b- before he broke his ankle, before, you know, he started getting on in years, he was an unbelievable player. I, like, uh, there was no question that we would have picked him for the Socceroos if we could have naturalised him on arrival. You know, he, but these days, he's a step slower. He's a few years older. You know, he's 34. He doesn't have that burst of pace that he used to have or the acrobatic ability that he used to have in the box, you know, to be able to stretch his foot and get onto everything. You know, he doesn't try and pull off the overhead kicks that he used to. You know, he he used to be an incredibly spry athlete and now Mm. he's old man Bruno Fornaroli who has the smarts but not necessarily the, the body to go along with it. Can he compete in international football you know, he's been playing for one of the most uninspiring A-League teams we've ever seen. That's true. He's, I mean, I will say that his goal record for that uninspiring A-League team has still been pretty good. Um, and he's been carrying that uninspiring A-League A fair few of those team. are penalties and free kicks, though. Okay. You mentioned the smarts of Bruno Fornaroli, what he's able to contribute to a team off-ball or what he's able to do for the players around him in conjunction with the you know the player that he is mm. himself. Name me another Australian striker in in the squad or even outside of the squad that does that. Who else does that? Well, who's f- injured? True, but you're going to find plenty of Australian strikers who are will- willing runners. You're going to be finding plenty of Australian strikers who uh, have a lot of belief and confidence and will go direct and run hard for the whole game. I don't think you're going to find many players who are Australian strikers, again, Taggart, the, probably the only exception, that will be able to do what he does. If he doesn't start, of course, it's kind of a moot point. Um, and maybe that's sort of part of why all this furor is overblown is that he might not actually be included to begin with. But sure, not as athletic as the other options out there. But he does things and has attributes that I don't think a single other Australian attacker in this squad does, or up front at least. Is it potentially an indictment on coaching in the A-League and team building in the A-League that we always turn to foreign strikers and we don't look to develop our own and the kinds of players Mm. who are given opportunities at that level aren't like Bruno Fornaroli. We almost have this cultural cringe whereby we have to import that kind of smarts and and that kind of technical ability from abroad. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to get game time as a striker if you're a young Australian player, because there's usually an expensive foreign marquee import ahead of you. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you're right. Is that? I mean, ahead of this, Arnold Graham Arnold was the the key proponent of that at, at Sydney FC with players like Bobo. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. And if that's your reason you don't like him being involved in the squad, I think you're right, and you absolutely have a case to argue. Is it the thing that we should be worrying about? Like we're at this point already. You can look at, like, how have we come here, all that sort of thing. Like, in terms of the immediate next two games, is this the time to be looking at it? Like, can we get through these two games, see what happens, and then we can... Like, like make no mistake, I, we should have been looking at all of this stuff, like striker production, what kind of strikes are we producing, a long time ago. But we are where we are because of that, right? Because mm-hmm. of everything that's led up to this. The ship sailed Yeah, it's too late. Like, if... You're complaining about Fornaroli being selected. Um, your issue shouldn't actually be with 
Bruno Fornaroli. It's with the systems and the processes and the coaching that has led to us having so few options with his attributes in Australian players to select. And that's a question that, for now, we don't have a choice to ask. All we can do is select Bruno Fornaroli, hope for the best, and then, to, to, depending on how, what happens after the next two games and a qualifier as well, that's when we uh, look back and say, okay, how did we get to this situation? How do we get away from it? I think you're right. I think I mean I've been playing uh, devil's advocate here, but you know you're in, we're in a dis- desperate spot, and he might be the best player available for the position. So if he's eligible, get him in. You know, I mean, like we're just. I don't want to be like too put too like um, depressing a point on it, but like Australian football with something like this, we're reaping what we we've sown. Mm. We're reap, we're reaping what we've sown for the past five, ten years of the A-League. Like, it is not a shock that, as you said, we have prioritised putting visa signings with certain calibre, um, certain attributes in these spots ahead of young players, and then we scratch our heads as to why we don't have one available to select and we're picking a 34-year-old Uruguayan. Like, Bruno Fornaroli is not the issue here. We are the issue here. Mm. That's, that's all I have to say. I guess one more kind of devil's advocate point. Mm-hmm. If we're looking to address that issue and further the cause of young Australian strikers, you might actually have a future in the national team. If we're not willing to call them up when we're in a desperate injury crisis and, you know, when, when are they going to get big game experience with the national team? When is Nick D'Agostino going to get his opportunity? If it's not Daggers, when is, you know, Mo Torre, you know, whoever the... the best young striker in the A-League is. There, there aren't too many, but... Well, again, that's I don't think that's a question we need to be asking at the national team level. Like, that's a question we need to be asking at club level. Because you mentioned Mo... Like, I don't personally don't agree that D'Agostino is that kind of player. Um, his attributes, I don't think, are comparable to Fornaroli's. But with him and with Mo Ture as well, it, neither of them have been out-and-out starters. I mean, Moture is... I mean, Daggers is now. You he know, is he's, now, he's but he, he wasn't to begin with. And he's on, he's, Daggers is on fire, to be fair. That's true. Like, I've never been his biggest fan. Um, you know, as, as this is the running joke on this show. He keeps proving me wrong. Yeah, but. But, but I mean, in terms of, like, in terms of if we're addressing the problem of this kind of striker is not one mm. that we're making in Australia. We are making Dagostinos. Like, we are making direct players, aerial threats. Like, we have Dagostino-type players available to us. And don't get me wrong, he's doing a very good job at the moment. But Toure, for example, may be different, maybe more aligned to the Fornaroli type that we seem to lack in young Australian players. Mm. Well, he's or at not, least at least somebody who likes the ball in tight space. Yeah, he's not starting week in out week out for that club. And if he is, he's playing second fiddle to a gigantic Japanese man. Yeah, and he's usually playing or he's out playing wide. out wide in favour of that. So we need to ask that question at club level, not at national team level. Like, you know. Uh, how are we going to call them up and give them their chances? Well, there's, you know, the clubs are not giving those players enough scope mm. and enough opportunity in that um, environment, in that role, to justify a call up into the national team. But meanwhile, they're both, you know, pointing the finger at one another. Really. Well, we've got a big game on Thursday night. I think we'll take a short break and then we'll have a look at our opposition at Japan, who are short a few players themselves. Mm. It's not quite as dramatic as 
the drop-off we've seen in the Socceroos camp with COVID cases and injuries. But they are missing a few key men. So we're going to take a break. And on the other side, we'll have a look at how Japan might line up and, and which of their players they'll be missing out on when it comes to the crucial World Cup qualifier on Thursday night. Stick around here on the Oz Football Hour. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! I've won the salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamanti again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. I have to say I'm feeling a bit nervous, Lockie. The more we talk about this game, the more I pick it up in my head, the less I can imagine a positive result. But at the break, going over some of the absentees for Japan has, uh, has helped assuage my nerves just a little bit. A few big names scratched for this game uh, through injury. The most interesting one is that Dyson Maeda, the Celtic signing, uh, who you may remember from... Ange Postacoglu slash Kevin Musket Yokohama F. Marinos and uh, had a bright start over uh, in Scotland as well, has withdrawn from the squad for fitness slash condition reasons. So no specific injury listed. Uh, he will not take part. I think the Celtic fans are delighted that he'll be resting up for the old firm or the Sevco game, as they tend to call it. Yeah. Uh, same with Tom Rogic, I guess. So Celtic, not, not too keen to share share their players. Uh, but that follows the withdrawals of Tommy Yasu, of Yuya Osaka, of Hiroki Sakai. And, uh, you know, that's that's four starting players out mm. of contention. Yeah. No, it's some, some pretty big absentees. I mean, Maeda, like, has been just exquisite since playing for Celtic. It's a shame, I guess, for them to see him ruled out through fitness concerns. Not the stupidest reason that a player has not been able to be called up to one of the national teams this weekend, though, is it, Josh? I'm talking about Curtis Good. Well, this is is conjecture and rumour. That's true. But Australia was looking to call up Curtis Good. We've got Alex Wilkinson instead. And the reasons for that are a little murky uh, mm. as to what, because Curtis Good is, is available. So I don't know whether this is some sort of administrative bungle, let's say that, but we've got 37-year-old Alex Wilkinson in the squad as injury cover, and we might end up with, you know, McGowan-Wilkinson centre-back combination against Saudi Arabia. Oh, I hadn't thought about that before, Josh. I really don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to give that any more airtime than it's just received, to <laughs> don't be frank. I want to put that out into the universe. Um, we, we might talk a little bit more about Curtis Good if, if we discuss the Melbourne Derby later. But, yeah, the, there are some massive, massive outs for Japan. That, that cannot be denied. That cannot be overlooked. However, are they as impactful? Are those absentees as impactful upon Japan as the Socceroos absentees are upon the Socceroos? Because... You, you're talking about like, uh, you know, an important defender, an important midfielder, the striker. You would probably make the argument that you, Asako, not being available for Japan is maybe a good thing for Japan because I know you don't rate him particularly highly. I but, think he's a big lumbering oaf, Loki. And that may well be true, Josh. You might well be right. But those absentees, you know, 
compare that with Australia where we're literally talking about the whole starting midfield from the last game. Like mm. that is a ma- that's a big difference. And Japan, meanwhile, Morita, Endo, Tanaka, all available. Yeah. So they've got their first choice three. And I think that means Japan is in a much long, a stronger position. It is a little bit weird uh, that, you know, we always see Osaka or Asana up front for Japan. I find that a bit strange. Yeah. I, I would I would prefer to see something a bit less lumbering earthly. Mm, something a little it's very traditional it's very i mean the the head coach of japan has been very unpopular yeah his win against the Socceroos saved his job mm. so you know japan are in a good position to qualify i think they'll fancy their chances in this match but their supporters aren't exactly enamored with the approach you know we think of japan as this very forward thinking nation um, a very progressive country when it comes to their football. And yes, they've got the talent, but uh, they've got a pretty conservative manager as well. Mm, and can you necessarily see that changing against, you know, against the soccer? So playing them away from home, very pumped up crowd. Mm. Maybe not necessarily. I don't know if that works towards the soccer's favour though. I think the soccer's would much prefer to have a Japan who do come out quite strongly, look to dominate the ball. Um, you know, play with those sort of s- not smaller body players, but like with quite a nippy forward line, which they could could definitely do. Um, I almost think Australia w- would prefer that because if they could weather a press and like a first wave of those fast attackers sort of coming at the the soccer's back line and then hit the open space behind that, that's I think that's the soccer's best chance of getting a result in this game. But the problem is we don't just have to get a result in this game. We have to win the game. I think a draw is a decent shout in this one because Japan rarely win on Australian soil. No, I I agree. They have a pretty poor record here. Mm. You know, we usually get some sort of a result against Japan at home. Yes, this is more trying circumstances than usual. I don't see the Socceroos winning necessarily, but I I could definitely see it being a draw. But is that enough? Probably not. Probably not. In, because, actually, almost definitely not. Because the next game, like if we're talking about Japan maybe being potentially perturbed and influenced in their approach coming up against uh, against the Socceroos away from home, can you imagine what that is going to do to Australia playing against Saudi Arabia mm. in Jeddah? Yeah. That is going to be... And that like to leave that as the game that is a must-win... No, can't can't happen. Like, yeah, it it can't happen. So I I agree with you that I think this game could definitely end up being a draw, given the weaknesses that or the absentees for Japan, how that might influence their approach, and also for them, they're pretty happy with the point out of this game. To be perfectly honest, I yeah, would, that would do them just fine. That they, they'd be completely fine to get a draw out of this game, so they don't have to try too hard to win compared to Australia. Um, so I think a draw is likely, but that is not a good outcome. For Australia, Australia need a win. This game, like must win, is not even emphasising how important three points here is enough for Australia. There's one player I'm quite worried about, and that's Junior Ito. Just one? Well, there are many players. Look at many players, you know. But Junior Ito absolutely torched Australia last time. He Mm. gave Aziz Bayic a torrid time. Do you think Aziz Bayic keeps his place uh, as the starting left back? Or could we see Joel King come in 
given you know he's been playing regular football in Denmark and impressed Arnold in his first game. It's a tough one. I I think I think Bayich will be given another another shot at redemption. Would I be surprised to see Joel King play there? No. I think given the level of instability in this selection, they will look to the more experienced, consistent players to keep their spots. Otherwise, it's just too much turmoil. Yeah, exactly. I think the occasion is too big to be throwing one too many of the younger mm. brigade into the fold. Like I could I could still see the justification for Metcalf, but he's like a big, you know, bodied uh, runner who's been a leader, basically is a leader within the Melbourne City group and has been at youth level. Like I can see the justification, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's guaranteed. I could see it being him, but maybe not many others. I think the rest will be tried and true. And I think the back four will probably be a pretty good reflection of that because most of the starters that we would otherwise have are available, maybe with the exception of, of Karasic, who will probably start on the right. You mentioned Australia's strength being out wide. No Craig Goodwin, Leckie in doubt. Who's the wide pair? Martin Boyle is almost nailed on to start at this point. Martin Boyle's he's got to be a guarantee, especially I think it kind of also depends on who starts up front. Mm-hmm. Who plays there? I think if Fornaroli is involved up front, I think Boyle has to be paired you know, in that front three with him and has to be close by. Who goes on the left? Awoma Bill? Yeah, I think so. Return to the uh, national team for Awoma Bill? Yeah, it's. It, I mean, who was. Who he was other? left out of the squad last time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who are the other. Again, sticking with the tried and true narrative that we were talking about when picking out this defense. Um, it's got to be Mobile, doesn't it? I mean, who who is unless the other... unless Lecky makes a recovery, yeah, the I'm... other wide players are Tilio. It's not going to happen. And Falami. I mean, yeah, it's just we've already seen what what kind of scope Tilio has been given at the national team level in games that we expected to win. Done, done, done. Um, as opposed to games that are must win. Done? Question mark. Um, so I, I can't see that happening. Falami is literally a a replacement, um, like a, a an emergency call up to fill a vacancy. That vacancy, of course, being Craig Goodwin. I just can't see either of those two starting on that left hand side. So I think it will have to be it'll have to be Mobile and and Boyle as the wide players. Who plays up front? I'm still undecided. I would like to see Fornaroli. Uh, and I think he would work well at bringing those two into the game and helping them to create threat as they, you know, cut through from wide into the center. Whether or not it happens, I don't know. But why, like, why else go? Why else would you go to such an effort to naturalize him and do all this if you have no intention of playing him? That's my thing. Is like if you were, if you have no intention of playing him, and he's well, just, he already got his citizenship. He was already eligible. Yeah, but like. Why not just, I don't know, I, I feel like otherwise you could have just picked a a young player. Like, I feel like the fact that he is making this big jump, such a big deal has been made out of it, both internally within the Socceroos and externally, surely that means he's going to be involved in a somewhat significant capacity. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Thursday night, 8, 10 p.m. Yeah. kickoff is the big game. Uh, I am personally bricking it after this conversation. The exact phrase <laughs> that I was going to use. <laughs> but our World Cup automatic qualification hangs very much in the balance, of course, 
Playoff still an opportunity there for the Socceroos to, to make it the hard way as we did last time four years ago. It's going to be harder than last time, but I mm. don't think anyone needed me to remind them of that fact. South American playoff lying in wake. Um, but, you know, Socceroos have to get past um, likely the United Arab Emirates before they even think about that. Mm. So. A lot of people forget that game, don't they? Mm. The fact that we have to beat the Bert Van Marwijk revenge game. Yeah, I mean, and we all know what happened last time we played. Actually, it. no, he's been sacked. Exactly. But we, I still remember, um, and not particularly fondly, uh, what happened last time we played the UAE. Yes, the Degenek back pass. <laughs> Need you remind me the uh, the endless crosses to Jamie McLaren. You know those games where you get up in the middle of the night and you just. You look back on them and it's like thinking of how much sleep you could have had if you did not watch that game. Like, you know that meme where it's like the world if X didn't happen? And it's like everyone flying around for the cars and like monorail and everything. That's me if like Lockie's world if he didn't get up in the middle of the night to watch the soccerers play the UAE. And I have one game like that every week. So, yeah. Imagine what it could be like. Well, at least this one's in prime time. That's at least true. you won't be losing any sleep. Well, oh, le- beforehand, definitely. After, maybe not. Um, Tear-induced sleep is usually pretty effective. So <laughs> let's just prime myself for that if it happens. Yeah, fetal position, I think. Um, all right, we've, we've, we're pretty defeatist. Let us know what you think in the comments. What's the result going to be? How can the Socceroos come back from this long list of absentees and get the much-needed win over Japan at home? It's looking like a big ask, but we'll go to one short break before we come back and talk A-League. We've got Derby to, to get through and also a sacking over in the West. Yeah. Richard Garcia, given his marching orders alongside his assistant Stephen McGarry uh, by Tony Sage in the Perth Glory hierarchy. We'll discuss that and what's led to that after the break. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! Yeah! Like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Tim again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick from Mobia. It's the game that nobody wants to lose. And it seems like no one will lose it ever again. Another Derby stalemate in Melbourne as Victory and City again share the spoils. I'm Josh Parrish. I've got Lockie Flanagan alongside me. We spent most of the show talking ruse. If you want to listen back to that, the podcast will be available uh, very shortly after we go off air. Uh, but if you're interested in sticking around and uh, listening to a bit of A-League men chat, wait no longer. Lockie, what was your impression of the delayed big game on Saturday night? We didn't get it the week previous. To, uh, to much furore uh, with victory going to face Fizzle Kobe in the Asian Champions League. Was it worth the wait? A couple of things before I start off. Uh, Talking Ruse, great name for an uh, Australian post-match review podcast. I've already trademarked it, so that's the, good. The, the review show? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, no, ignoring that one. The review like, show. I don't like that one quite as much. Uh, second thing I'll say, really, it really Sorry. is a testament to the capacity of Australian football to churn out drama uh, with regularity that I'd already forgotten that this was a postponed game and the cir- and the farcical circumstances under which it was postponed. Like, seriously, 
hats off to Australian football for creating so many obscure narratives uh, and having such a large amount of infighting that that, which was a week ago, is already just just in the distant, dark corner of my memory. Um, but glad to have the Derby back. And interesting to see that, that these two teams still have each other's measure, or that Melbourne Victory, rather, has, has the measure of Melbourne City for the time being. Um, I, I think a draw was probably, on the balance of play, I think a, a fair result. Um, I thought, once again, it was a great spectacle in a se- from a fan's perspective in a season where we've been pretty um, bereft of, of spectacle games like this one. Um, so that was good to see. But I, I don't know. I thought that victory did exploit um, some of the weaknesses that, that City have been having to contend with in re- recent weeks, not least that defence for the opening goal. Well, it's interesting you say that because there's a lot of clamour for uh, a certain City centre-back by the name of Curtis Good mm. to get some national team consideration, especially when Alex Wilkinson has been called up instead. But City have been struggling defensively lately. Does he deserve that that honour of donning the uh, the green and gold? Well, given his aptitude for getting his big noggin onto set pieces, I can definitely see the logical the justifications for Graham Arnold inserting him into this squad. But I will say that particularly the goal on the weekend, yeah, I mean, City have had these defensive issues that Patrick Kisnobo just hasn't been able to work out over the course of the season. And obviously Curtis Good is culpable in that. Do I think he's the primary driver and reason behind those issues? No. No, I don't think so. And maybe this city defense would look a lot worse if it hadn't been for his inclusion within it. But I yeah, I think a lot of the defensive issues that City have is more to do with their system as opposed to an individual within the system. Because if you cast your mind back to I feel like the goal that Victory scored uh against City was a pretty good example, not just of that weakness, but of Victory being switched on enough to prepare for or prepare to and then exploit that weakness in a in a match scenario. Because what I'm talking about is City system where they have a fullback stepping into midfield. Mm. So I don't know if you remember the goal, Josh and With ben. Falami's assist, okay. Yeah, with Falami's assist. If you look at the run that Rojas makes, the minute victory are able to turn that ball in over in the middle third of the pitch who stepped inside? Which fullback? Uh, Jamison has, has stepped inside. So the ball is on City's right, and therefore the left-hand-sided fullback steps in to make an extra number. Yes. That's the that's the pattern. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So you can see him at the start of the uh, the replays sort of trying to come back and, and, and tuck back into that spot. And the minute the ball turns over, Rojas is going straight for that gap. And it was mm. a huge gap in between Good and Scott Jamison. It's a huge gap. It was, it was a, hu- it was a huge sorry. gap. And the minute the ball got turned over, he went straight for that space. And Jamison was already too far away, so it, the responsibility rolls on to Good. The problem is Good's coming across with the rest of the defense to try and cover the right-hand side. So Rojas, his you know movement was just perfect and exploited, I think, that weakness that City have got in the moments between 
you know, loss of possession and getting into defensive shape perfectly because he got in that space between those two and made the run that he curved it. And, you know, there were a few questions of whether or not he was onside. You know, he obviously was. Um, Right behind the sort of blind spot of Curtis Good. And credit to Flammy, the pass was perfect. But I thought they exploited that weakness really well. And week in, week out, even though, you know, their attack is still pretty good, I think City is still showing some pretty exploitable weaknesses for the more competent sides in this competition. Falami has been called up into the squad as an injury replacement. Um, you know, given his improvement this season and his progression, do you think, you know, that's a that's a good call from Graham Arnold to bring him into the international setup? Or is it simply a case that he's the same player as Ante Jukic was arguing on the national curriculum the other night? He's the same player and, and Popovich's system just puts him in, in better situations to succeed. I think I think the system is is maybe uh you know is a is a fair comment perhaps. I think it's like, hard to separate the two things to be honest. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and also the other thing to that may well be a good point about you know Falami is a player that suits this system and that makes him look better. Maybe he wouldn't be in Socceroos contention if he wasn't. But you know, I could see Tony, I could see a player who works within Tony Popovich's footballing system being fairly translatable or able to be transposed into a Graham Arnold football setup. So, like, I can totally understand why Graham Arnold would look at this player within this environment and think, yep, I can make use of those exact attributes that he is displaying the best in his system. But for the actual individual player, regardless of whether or not he's a beneficiary of the coach and the formation and the setup under which he's playing it is still pretty impressive that a player who was expected to pretty much be limited to bench minutes or be a person playing a role off the bench has sort of been able to seize his opportunity in the absence or on and off absence of Chris Economides and get himself into that soccer picture even if it is as an injury replacement or even if it is as a product of the system working for him or seizing on upon his best attributes. One more big topic to hit before we go, and that is Richard Garcia getting the axe at Perth Glory yeah. after a season mainly spent on the road. Is this is this harsh, given the circumstances have been so difficult for them? I don't think so. I don't think so because, like, I will say that there's plenty of stock and and plenty of. You know, to have to travel on that road is is a perfectly reasonable excuse in a lot of people's eyes. But I think in that traveling period, there was a lot of hope from Perth Glory fans that oh, this is a this is a byproduct of the fact that we're playing this nomad sort of style over on the eastern seaboard, and and once we come back and play in front of a home crowd, the results will be better. But even in that period, there was enough evidence to suggest that whatever improvements, whatever benefits a home crowd would bring when the glory returned to Perth were not going to be enough to make this side into a competitive outfit. And I'm talking about things like starting two fullbacks in your front three. Those are the kind of things that don't just automatically get better when you go back to playing in front of your home support. 
You don't think Jack Clisby suddenly turns into a world-class no. winger just because he's playing in front of a friendly crowd? <laughs> These issues, like, sure, I will admit that intangible benefits like playing in front of a good atmosphere, a home crowd, does have a lift to your performance, but not enough to fix and rectify just objectively bad managerial decisions like that. It's funny that you think back to those signings that they weren't able to make uh, because of the the boundary. The, uh, uh, let's not get into the policies of it. Uh, but Andrew Naboo and Nathaniel Atkinson were supposed to join Perth Glory before... Uh, it made it impossible, and they ended up staying with with Melbourne City, of course. And it's just more wide players, more fullbacks and wingers, and there's no central midfielders in the squad. It's mm. incredible to me that they weren't even, you know, they they weren't stories about how they missed out on this central midfielder or that. Yeah, it it's a, as it's, I sneeze into the microphone. It's it's a bit of a shock, frankly, and I think that's that lack of creative intervention or inspiration in midfield has, is not something that is unique to glory this season. Like it's always been down to one player to do these things. This season it's been Fornaroli seasons gone by. It's been Diego Castro. Like has he really ever did Diego Castro ever really have a creative partner in crime? And they haven't throughout replaced Castro. No. Their, their marquee is Sturridge and he's obviously been a disaster I but mean, even if he's fit that doesn't solve Perth Glory's problems. No, he's not. He's nowhere They've near They've replaced that. Kilkenny with Brandon O'Neill. Fair. That's a like for like, like yeah. arguably an upgrade given Brandon O'Neill you know, his record in the competition. You know, he's won titles at Sydney FC. Mm. He's a Perth boy. Good signing. But they didn't replace Fornaroli at all. And the, and the player that was the nominal, you know, Spanish number 10 they were going to bring in is actually another striker in Sardinero, who's been perhaps the biggest disappointment of them all. Yeah, and I think back to... It's not as if this problem was a shock or a surprise. And it's like, oh, where's the, where's the creativity in midfield coming from? We could not have foreseen this. I'm thinking back to the season preview that we did. And the I don't think it was me, but the single biggest question you posed when talking about Perth, and I'm sure Nick Stoll was the same, was who is going to fill that number 10 role? We can see where all the other players fit in, you know, other than how do they fit the front three in, like where to Sturridge and Fauna, little did we know, didn't really have to worry about it because Sturridge has barely seen the pitch. But where was that creativity going to come from? And the best justification I would was able to give was that, oh, well, I guess Sardinero must be that player because there's no way they could play three strikers all together at the same time. They must be trying to use him as a 10. But um, that has not worked at all. They would have been much better off, even though he is fairly old, much better off playing Diego Castro, keeping Diego Castro and playing him with Fornaroli rather than this gamble that they've taken in Sardinero that has not paid off at all. And pretty much... They are faced with the same problem going forward, creating chances that they had last year, which was it's all on the shoulders of one player. They've just changed that player. It's interesting. It comes back to a central kind of identity crisis of what Perth Glory want to be. Do they want to be a bling club, a destination club, you know, a club that tries to bring fans through the turnstiles with big names, that tries to win silverware, uh, that is ambitious, or do they want to be a club that develops youth and has their own, has an identity because they are WA players? They, you know, their their youth team is unbelievable. They've won so much mm. in, you know, they've been so successful. It's, it's them 
duking it out with Perth Soccer Club pretty much every year for the title, which is not the case with most youth teams across the country, some of whom are in second and third divisions in their state-based MPLs. So they clearly have the talent, and we've seen glimpses of it with Steins and Coley this season, who I don't think have been given the license by Richie Garcia, and that's where I do come down hard on him, that Steins and Coley have not been give like not been allowed to share the pitch mm. when creativity can come from those two players in central areas yeah. and they haven't empowered those young players. And like I said, that's a problem that doesn't change whether you're... And those, those, they're, they're in the early 20s as well. It's not like they're raw 17, 18-year-olds that you're scared of giving no. too much burden of responsibility to. They should be playing. Otherwise, they're not good enough. Otherwise, well, let them go. We almost have like, a, uh, like an age tax or like a reverse of an age tax in Australia where it's like because our propensity for playing youth football is so bad that like if you're 22... Like, 22 is the new, like, 19 in Australian football. Up like and coming 24-year-old Nick D'Agostino. Well, um, who's the, the 24-year-old for, for Perth as well? Steins as well. is like, like, everyone's like, oh, my God, look at this exciting new young player. He's 24. He's 24. That's not like, I'm sorry. That's the age where you should easy, be established. Easy for me to say this as a 22-year-old, but that is not young. Like, the, in footballing terms, you're only three years away from your peak. That's like, that's... Sorry, no offense, Josh, but that's not. Uh, no offense taken, I'm at my peak, baby. Like in in footballing <laughs> terms, that that's not young. And like I said, with the positional decisions, like playing fullbacks in attacking parts of the pitch, those are not things that just go away when you come and play in front of a home crowd. And clearly, they haven't because their results in front of their home crowd, which was supposed to be the sort of saviors, people had flagged as like this saviors run where they'll come back and. They'll be on a tear because they've finally got their fans back in front watching them again. They literally haven't they have won a game. They've so been terrible since they've come back home. It comes back to a couple of things for me. Yes, Richard Garcia clearly wasn't good enough, but also they didn't really support him very well with the signings that they made. So the question is, who is responsibil- whose responsibility is it for crafting the balance of the squad and the profile of player that they're going after? It looks well, like Terry McFlynn is the football ops guy. He suggested the Sturridge signing apparently because he saw he was available and brought it to Pinata and Garcia. Top secret database. And his top secret database Which is, is definitely, definitely not transfermarket.com. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm sure they have other scouting software available to them. But, uh, you know, who, who is responsible for the sporting direction of the club? Does it come down to the manager? Is it the owner? Is it the CEO? This is the problem we have with so many A-League teams where the direction, you know, is is fairly rudderless and you've got people managing mm-hmm. the cap instead of managing the, the vision of, you know, the actual philosophy of the, of the team and what they want to be. And you know what concerns me about this, Josh, is you think about the other, other clubs where we've had serious, like, fundamental structural issues, like top to bottom, like root and branch kind of reviews needed in recent seasons, one of which being the Melbourne victory, you can make the argument that they haven't necessarily done enough of a sweeping wide reform in just just appointing Tony Popovich, but they have still been able to... They fixed some of the the off-the-field issues at the club. Yeah, and they still have been able to make some positive gains in terms of uh, being a well-run top-to-bottom club, and part of that is because their underperformance last season was made to look so much worse, and it was terrible, but even worse than it was by how well their crosstown rivals were doing. What concerns me about Perth is that, and Western Sydney the same, have to be conscious of how well Sydney FC have been doing, and that makes the need for them to change 
all the more important. Again, they haven't necessarily done that. But Perth don't have competition where they are at the moment. There's no one else coming to take that spot in w- in WA. Um, there's no second. WWA. T- yeah, there's no second team about to give them a threat, but that's in the short term. Is that Perth Red Stars music? That might not be the case in the future. So we need to know who is doing these things. They need to figure out what direction they want to take this club. Maybe they want to have a little bit of both. Maybe they do want to have some of that, you know, bling coupled with the youth players, but they need to actually, you know, um, he- like they can hedge a bet both ways, but it needs to be a decent bet. Like mm-hmm. they need to really put the chips in um, because my worry is with no competition in their area, they won't do that and they'll just continue to kind of drift low to long. Yeah. Well, Perth bound for the wooden spoon. They've got Ruben Zadkovic as the interim head coach. GBI. Yeah. Good bloke index. <laughs> Very high. Yeah, he's an intense character. Let's say that he is. I was well. I was almost expecting Kenny uh, Kenny Low to come in because the way I was thinking about it is when Richard Garcia was sacked. Obviously, Kenny Low recently has been doing his analyst stuff on on the Perth coverage with Adam Papalia. Um, I was kind of expecting a Ireland style repeat. I don't. I'm sure you remember this, Josh. Where Stephen Kenny obviously took over as the manager of Ireland and <laughs> covering the Ireland games on the broadcast was Mick McCarthy, the previous manager. And Mick McCarthy would sit there as the co-com and just hit like Hillary, the way in which the Republic of Ireland, you know, were playing. I was wondering if maybe we were seeing good guy Kenny Lowe do that and set him in an in attempt to put himself over and back in the frame for the Perth glory job. But it doesn't seem like that is going to happen, and it shouldn't happen. You know who I, I'm tipping for it? And it's not just because of the uh, the jacket you're wearing. Oh, sure. One of the favourite sons. I don't know. I don't know. Who is. Returning across the border, Scott Miller, make it happen. I don't think it's, I don't think he, I don't think his head's in. in well, you're a, closer to, to Lang Warren than I am. No, no, no. I, I completely see the justification, but I just don't know if his passion lies with, with exclusively with coach. I think he has a sort of wider football lens that he is interested in, in Hmm. influencing at the moment. That's just my suspicion. I don't actually, I don't actually know that for certain. Um, But I I just get that feeling that he wants to kind of serve a wider purpose than just focusing on one specific team. Do I think he do a a good job for sure? Um, Although I I think maybe a few people would raise their eyebrows at, at an MPL2 Victoria coach coming across and being planted into an A-League job, rightly or wrongly, I think mm. wrongly, but I think the optics, um, we're talking about a club who signed Daniel Sturridge here. Um, I don't think the optics would be great, and I don't think they'd be willing to take it on. Of course, Sadkovic will, will make his his case for it uh, in the next few weeks, uh, you know, if that's what he wants. But there's one other like name I want to the... float. Sure. Ramon Falzon, mm. head coach of Perth SC. Very successful there. Local guy. Very, very well respected in the NPL. I would like to see more coaches come up from the NPL. Or moon spec. Yeah, exactly. You know, or Pappas. And he went overseas, I guess, a little bit. Mm. He made a name for himself. No, I'll pay it to you. But uh, he's also got a fantastic accent, Ramon Falzon. It's a nice Maltese. This is a great name. Yeah, it is. I mean, I accidentally called it WWA before. He sounds like he could be in the... He's the, the he's, the, he's the Maltese Falzon. Yeah. 
I was going to say Razor Ramon. We better go. (laughs) It's not getting any better from here. Thanks for tuning in to the Oz Football Hour. I think we're done. Mm. All right. Uh, Soccer's game against Japan on Thursday night will come on the heels of the Lions Den. So what we're doing uh, is for our usual Preston Lions Club show, shifting back to 7 p.m. on Thursday night. We're doing it live from BT Connor Reserve at the brand new pavilion and then screening the Socceroos Japan game in the club room straight afterwards. It's free. Come down. Be part of the live audience if you like. Is that pavilion? Ivan is in the photos of the exterior. You've obviously been there. Is it? I've not been it? inside yet. Ooh. I was going to ask if it's, it's going to be my first time in the building. Because it does look good. I, I'm ex- I couldn't tell you. I'm excited for the viewers to see what it looks like. Yeah, can't wait and for, for you that. to see what it looks like. Actually, I'm happy for you. That also means that the state of our football nation uh, will be moved to tomorrow, Wednesday at 5 p.m. So change of day for that show. No green room, obviously, with the clash with the Melbourne Victory game. The Lions Den coming up on Thursday at 7 p.m., followed by Australia versus Japan. Looking forward to that. So uh, tune in then, and uh, we look forward to having your company. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind Topo Stanley? It doesn't matter! Costa Barbarousas! Wow! And Diamante again! Oh, he's done it! Unbelievable kick. Come on here.